Section 48 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Karen. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 3. The Nostos. Episode 16. Eumaeus. Part 3. There was a fellow sailed with me in the rover. The old sea-dog himself a rover proceeded, went ashore and took up a soft job as gentleman's valet at six quid a month. Them are his trousers I've on me, and he gave me an oil skin and that jackknife. I'm game for that job, shaving and brush-up. I hate roaming about. There's my son now, Danny, run off to sea, and his mother got him took in a draper's in Cork, where he could be drawing easy money. "'What age is he?' queried one hearer, who, by the way, seen from the sideboard, distant resemblance to Henry Campbell, the town clerk, away from the carking cares of office, unwashed, of course, and in a seedy get-up and a strong suspicion of nose-paint about the nasal appendage. "'Why?' the sailor answered with a slow, puzzled utterance. "'My son Danny. He'd be about eighteen now, way I figure it. The skibbereen father hereupon tore open his grey, or unclean anyhow, shirt with his two hands, and scratched away at his chest, on which was to be seen an image tattooed in blue Chinese ink, intended to represent an anchor. "'There is lice in that bunk in Bridgewater,' he remarked. "'Sure as nuts. I must get a wash to-morrow or next day. It's them black lads I objects to. I hate those buggers. Suck your blood dry, they does. Seeing they were all looking at his chest, he accommodatingly dragged his shirt more open, so that on top of the time-honored symbol of the mariner's hope and rest, they had a full view of the figure sixteen, and a young man's side-face looking frowningly rather. Tattoo, the exhibitor explained. That was done when we were lying becalmed off Odessa in the Black Sea under Captain Dalton. Fellow the name of Antonio done that. There he is himself, a Greek. Did it hurt much doing it? one asked the sailor. That worthy, however, was busily engaged in collecting round the sumway in his, squeezing or... See here, he said, showing Antonio. There he is, cursing the mate. "'And there he is now,' he added. "'The same fellow, pulling the skin with his fingers. "'Some special knack, evidently, and he laughing at a yarn. "'And, in point of fact, the young man named Antonio's livid face "'did actually look like forced smiling. "'And the curious effect excited the unreserved admiration of everybody, "'including Skin the Goat, who this time stretched over. "'Ah, hi,' sighed the sailor looking down on his manly chest. "'He's gone, too, ate by sharks after. Aye, aye.' He let go of the skin so that the profile resumed the normal expression of before. "'Neat bit of work,' one longshoreman said. "'And what's the number for?' loafer number two queried. "'Eaten alive?' a third asked the sailor. "'Aye, aye,' sighed again the latter personage. More cheerily this time, with some sort of a half-smile for a brief duration only, in the direction of the questioner about the number. Eight. A Greek he was. 
and then he added with rather gallows-bird humor, considering his alleged end, "'As bad as old Antonio, for he left me on my ownio.' The face of a street-walker, glazed and haggard under a black straw hat, peered askew round the door of the shelter, palpably recoinitering on her own, with the object of bringing more grist to her mill. Mr. Bloom, scarcely knowing which way to look, turned away on the moment, flusterfied, but outwardly calm. And picking up from the table the pink sheet of the Abbey Street organ, which the jarby, if such he was, had laid aside, he picked it up and looked at the pink of the paper, though why pink? His reason for so doing was he recognized on the moment, round the door, the same face he had caught a fleeting glimpse of that afternoon on Armand Quay the partially idiotic female, namely, of the lane, who knew the lady in the brown costume. Does be with you, Mrs. B., and beg the chance of his washing. Also, why washing, which seemed rather vague than not, your washing? Still, candor compelled him to admit he had washed his wife's undergarments when soiled in Hall Street, and women would, and did too, a man's similar garments, initialed with Bewley and Draper's marking ink. Hers were, that is. If they really loved him, that is to say, love me, love my dirty shirt. Still, just then, being on tenderhooks, he desired the female's room more than her company. So it came as a genuine relief when the keeper made her a rude sign to take herself off. Round the side of the evening telegraph he just caught a fleeting glimpse of her face round the side of the door, with a kind of demented, glassy grin, showing that she was not exactly all there. Viewing with evident amusement the group of gazers round Skipper Murphy's nautical chest. And then there was no more of her. "'The gunboat,' the keeper said. "'It beats me,' Mr. Bloom confided to Stephen. "'Medically, I'm speaking. How a wretched creature like that from the Lock Hospital, reeking with disease, can be barefaced enough to solicit.' or how any man in his sober senses, if he values his health in the least. Unfortunate creature! Of course, I suppose some man is ultimately responsible for her condition. Still, no matter what the cause is from, Stephen had not noticed her and shrugged his shoulders, merely remarking, In this country people sell much more than she ever had, and do a roaring trade. Fear not them that sell the body, but have not power to buy the soul. She is a bad merchant. She buys dear and sells cheap. The elder man, though not by any manner of means an old maid or a prude, said it was nothing short of a crying scandal that ought to be put a stop to instanter, to say that women of that stamp, quite apart from any old maidish squeamishness on the subject, a necessary evil, were not licensed and medically inspected by the proper authorities, a thing he could truthfully state he, as a paterfamilias, was a stalwart advocate of from the very first start. Whoever embarked on a policy of the sort, he said, and ventilated the matter thoroughly, would confer a lasting boon on everybody concerned. You, as a good Catholic, he observed, talking of body and soul, believe in the soul. Or do you mean the intelligence, the brain power as such, as distinct from any outside object? The table, let us say that cup. I believe in that myself, because it has been explained by competent men as the convolutions of the grey matter. Otherwise we would never have had such inventions as X-rays, for instance. 
do you thus cornered stephen had to make a superhuman effort of memory to try and concentrate and remember before he could say they tell me on the best authority it is a simple substance and therefore incorruptible it would be immortal i understand but for the possibility of its annihilation by its first cause who from all i can hear is quite capable of adding that to the number of his other practical jokes corruptio per se and corruptio per accidens both being excluded by court etiquette mr bloom thoroughly acquiesced in the general gist of this though the mystical finesse involved was a bit out of his sublunary depth still he felt bound to enter demure on the head of simple promptly rejoining simple i shouldn't think that is the proper word of course i grant you to concede a point you do knock across a simple soul once in a blue moon but what i am anxious to arrive at is it is one thing for instance to invent those rays wrenchen did or the telescope like edison though i believe it was before his time galileo was the man i mean and the same applies to the laws for example of a far-reaching natural phenomenon such as electricity but it's a horse of quite another colour to say you believe in the existence of a supernatural god oh that stephen expostulated has been proved conclusively by several of the best-known passages in holy writ apart from circumstantial evidence on this knotty point however the views of the pair poles apart as they were both in schooling and everything else with a marked difference in their respective ages clashed has been the more experienced of the two objected sticking to his original point with a smile of unbelief i'm not so sure about that that's a matter for every man's opinion and without dragging in the sectarian side of the business i beg to differ with you in toto there my belief is to tell you the candid truth that those bits were genuine forgeries all of them put in by monks most probably or it's the big question of our national poet over again who precisely wrote them like hamlet and bacon as you who know your shakespeare infinitely better than i of course i needn't tell you can't you drink that coffee by the way let me stir it and take a piece of that bun it's like one of our skipper's bricks disguised still no one can give what he hasn't got try a bit couldn't stephen contrived to get out his mental organs for the moment refusing to dictate further fault-finding being a proverbially bad hat mr bloom thought well to stir or try to the clotted sugar from the bottom and reflected with something approaching acrimony in the coffee palace and its temperance and lucrative work to be sure it was a legitimate object and beyond yea or nay did a world of good shelters such as the present one they were in run on teetotal lines for vagrants at night concerts dramatic evenings and useful lectures admittance free by qualified men for the lower orders on the other hand he had a distinct and painful recollection they paid his wife madame marion tweedy who had been probably associated with it at one time a very modest remuneration indeed for her piano playing the idea he was strongly inclined to believe was to do good and net a profit there being no competition to speak of sulphate of copper poison sulphate or something and some dried peas he remembered reading of in a cheap eating-house somewhere but he couldn't remember when it was or where anyhow inspection medical inspection of all eatables seemed to him more than ever necessary which possibly accounted for the vogue of dr tibbles vi coco 
on account of the medical analysis involved. "'Have a shot at it now,' he ventured to say of the coffee after being stirred. Thus prevailed on to at any rate taste it, Stephen lifted the heavy mug from the brown puddle it clopped out of when taken up by the handle and took a sip of the offending beverage. "'Still, it's solid food,' his good genius urged. "'I'm a stickler for solid food.' his one and only reason being not gourmandizing in the least, but regular meals as a sine qua known for any kind of proper work, mental or manual. You ought to eat more solid food. You would feel a different man. Liquids I can eat, Stephen said. But, oh, oblige me by taking away that knife. I can't look at the point of it. It reminds me of Roman history. Mr. Bloom promptly did as suggested and removed the incriminated article a blunt horn-handled ordinary knife, with nothing particularly Roman or antique about it to the lay eye, observing that the point was the least conspicuous point about it. Our mutual friend's stories are like himself. Mr. Bloom, apropos of knives, remarked to his confidant, sotto voce, Do you think they are genuine? He could spin those yarns for hours on end, all night long, and lie like old boots. Look at him. Yet, Still, though his eyes were thick with sleep and sea-air life, was full of a host of things and coincidences of a terrible nature, and it was quite within the bounds of possibility that it was not an entire fabrication, though at first blush there was not much inherent probability in all the spoof he got off his chest, being strictly accurate gospel. He had been meantime taking stock of the individual in front of him, and Sherlock Holmesing him up ever since he clapped eyes on him. Though a well-preserved man of no little stamina, if a trifle prone to baldness, there was something spurious in the cut of his jib that suggested a jail delivery, and it required no violent stretch of imagination to associate such a weird-looking specimen with the Oakham and Treadmill fraternity. He might even have done for his man, supposing it was his own case, he told, as people often did about others, namely, that he killed him himself and had served his four or five good-looking years in Durance Vile, to say nothing of Antonio personage, no relation to the Germanic personage of identical name who sprang from the pen of our national poet, who expiated his crimes in the melodramatic manner above described. On the other hand, he might be only bluffing, a pardonable weakness, because meeting unmistakable mugs, Dublin residents like those Jarvies waiting news from abroad, would tempt any ancient mariner who sailed the ocean seas to draw the longbow about the schooner Hesperus and etc. And, when all was said and done, the lies a fellow told about himself couldn't probably hold a proverbial candle to the wholesale whoppers other fellows coined about him. "'Mind you, I'm not saying that it's all a pure invention,' he resumed. "'Analogous scenes are occasionally, if not often, met with. "'Giants, though, that is rather a far cry.' You see, once in a way, Marcella the Midget Queen, in those waxworks in Henry Street, I myself saw some Aztecs, as they are called, sitting bow-legged. They couldn't straighten their legs if you paid them, because the muscles here, you see, he proceeded, indicating on his companion the brief outline of the sinews, or whatever you like to call them behind the right knee, were utterly powerless from sitting that way so long cramped up, being adored as gods. There's an example again of simple souls. However, reverting to friend Sinbad in his horrifying adventures, who reminded him a bit of Ludwig, alias Ludwig, 
when he occupied the boards of the gaiety, when Michael Gunn was identified with the management in the Flying Dutchman, a stupendous success, and his host of admirers came in large numbers, everyone simply flocking to hear him, though ships of any sort, phantom or the reverse, on the stage usually fell a bit flat, as also did trains. There was nothing intrinsically incompatible about it, he conceded. On the contrary, that stab in the back touch was quite in keeping with those Italianos. Though, candidly, he was none the less free to admit those ice-creamers and friars in the fishway, not to mention the chip potato variety and so forth, over in Little Italy there, near the Coombe, were sober, thrifty, hard-working fellows. Except, perhaps a bit too given to pot-hunting the harmless, necessary animal of feline persuasion, of others at night, so as to have a good old succulent tuck-in with garlic, dear Regurov, him or her next day, on the quiet, and, he added, on the cheap. Spaniards, for instance, he continued, passionate temperaments like that, impetuous as old Nick, are given to taking the law into their own hands, and giving your quietus double-quick with those poignards they carry in the abdomen. It comes from the great heat, climate generally, my wife is, so to speak, Spanish. Half, that is. Point of fact, she could actually claim Spanish nationality if she wanted, having been born in, technically, Spain, i.e. Gibraltar. She has a Spanish type, quite dark, regular brunette, black. I, for one, certainly believe climate accounts for character. That's why I asked you if you wrote your poetry in Italian. The temperaments at the door... Stephen interposed with, were very passionate about ten shillings. Roberto Ruba Roba Sua. Quite so, Mr. Bloom dittoed. Then, Stephen said, staring and rambling on to himself or some unknown listener somewhere, we have the impetuosity of Dante, and the isosceles triangle Miss Portinari he fell in love with, and Leonardo, and San Tommaso Mastino. "'It's in the blood,' Mr. Bloom acceded at once. "'All are washed in the blood of the sun. "'Coincidence, I just happened to be in the Kildare Street Museum, eight ninety today, "'shortly prior to our meeting, if I can so call it, "'and I was just looking at those antique statues there, "'the splendid proportions of hips. "'Bosom. "'You simply don't knock against those kind of women here. "'An exception here and there. "'Handsome, yes. "'Pretty in a way. "'You find?' But what I'm talking about is the female form. Besides, they have so little taste in dress, most of them, which greatly enhances a woman's natural beauty, no matter what you say. Rumpled stockings, it may be, possibly is, a foible of mine, but still, it's a thing I simply hate to see. Interest, however, was starting to flag somewhat all around, and then the others got into talking about accidents at sea. Ships lost in a fog, goo collisions with icebergs, all that sort of thing. Ship of Hoy, of course, had his own to say. He had doubled the cape a few odd times and weathered a monsoon, a kind of wind in the China Seas. And through all those perils of the deep there was one thing he declared stood to him, or words to that effect, a pious medal he had that saved him. So then after that they drifted on to the wreck off Daunt's Rock, wreck of that ill-fated Norwegian bark nobody could think of her name for the moment, till the Jarvie, who had really quite a look of Henry Campbell, remembered it. Palm on Booterstown Strand. That was the talk of the town that year. 
Albert William Quill wrote a fine piece of original verse of 910 distinctive merit on the topic for the Irish Times. Breakers running over her, and crowds and crowds on the shore, in commotion petrified with horror. Then someone said something about the case of the SS Lady Cairns of Swansea, run into by the Mona, which was on an opposite tack in rather muggyish weather and lost, with all hands on deck. No aid was given. Her master, the Mona's, said he was afraid his collision bulkhead would give way. She had no water, it appears, in her hold. At this stage an incident happened, it having become necessary for him to unfurl a reef, the sailor vacated his seat. "'Let me cross your bows, mate,' he said to his neighbour, who was just gently dropping off into a peaceful doze. He made tracks heavily, slowly, with a dumpy sort of a gait to the door, stepped heavily down the one step there was out of the shelter, and bore due left. While he was in the act of getting his bearings, Mr. Bloom, who noticed when he stood up that he had two flasks of presumably ship's rum sticking, one out of each pocket, for the private consumption of his burning interior, saw him produce a bottle and uncork it, or unscrew, and applying its nozzle to his lips, take a good old delectable swig out of it, with a gurgling noise. The irrepressible Bloom, who also had a shrewd suspicion that the old stager went out on a maneuver, after the counter-attraction in the shape of a female, who, however, had disappeared to all intents and purposes, could by straining just perceive him, when duly refreshed by his rum-punch and exploit, gaping up at the piers and girders of the loop-line, rather out of his depth, as, of course, it was all radically altered since his last visit, and greatly improved. Some person or persons invisible directed him to the male urinal, erected by the cleansing committee all over the place for the purpose. But after a brief space of time, during which silence reigned supreme, the sailor, evidently giving it a wide berth, eased himself closer at hand, the noise of his bilge-water some little time subsequently splashing on the ground, where it apparently awoke a horse of the cabrink. A hoof scooped anyway for new foothold, after sleep and harness jingled. Slightly disturbed in a sentry-box by the brazier of live coke, the watcher of the corporation's stones, who, though now broken down and fast breaking up, was none other in stern reality than the gumley aforesaid, now practically on the parish rates given the temporary job by Pat Tobin, in all human probability, from dictates of humanity knowing him before, shifted about and shuffled in his box, before composing his limbs again into the arms of Morpheus. A truly amazing piece of hard lines, in its most virulent form, on a fellow most respectably connected, and familiarized with decent home comforts, all his life, who came in for a cool one hundred pounds a year at one time, which, of course, the double-barrel ass proceeded to make general ducks and drakes of. And there he was at the end of his tether, after having only painted the town tolerably pink, without a beggarly stiver. He drank, needless to be told, and it pointed only once more a moral, when he might quite easily be in a large way of business, if, a big if, however, he had contrived to cure himself of his particular partiality. All meantime were loudly lamenting the falling off in Irish shipping, coastwise and foreign as well, which was all part and parcel the same thing. A Palgrove Murphy boat was put off the ways at Alexander Basin, the only launch that year. Right enough the harbours were there, only no ships ever called. There are wrecks and wreckers, the keeper said, who was evidently au fait. 
What he wanted to ascertain was why that ship ran bang against the only rock in Galway Bay, when the Galway Harbour scheme was mooted by a Mr. Worthington, or some name like that, eh? Ask the then captain, he advised them, how much palm oil the British government gave him for that day's work. Captain John Lever, of the Lever Line. Am I right, skipper? he queried of the sailor, now returning after his private potation and the rest of his exertions. That worthy, picking up the scent of the fagot of the song or words, growled in would-be music, but with great vim, some kind of chanty or other in seconds or thirds. Mr. Bloom's sharp ears heard him then expectorate the plug, probably, which it was, so that he must have lodged it for the time being in his fist, while he did the drinking and making water jobs, and found it a bit sour after the liquid fire in question. Anyhow, in he rolled after his successful libation compotation, introducing an atmosphere of drink into the soiree, boisterously trolling like a veritable son of a sea-cook. The biscuits were as hard as brass, and the beef as salt as Lot's wife's arse. Oh, Johnny Lever, Johnny Lever, oh. After which effusion the redoubtable specimen duly arrived on the scene, and regaining his seat, he sank rather than sat heavily on the form provided. Skin the goat, assuming he was he, evidently with an axe to grind, was airing his grievances in a forcible, feeble, philippic adant, the natural resources of Ireland, or something of that sort, which he described in his lengthy dissertation as the richest country bar none on the face of God's earth, far and away superior to England, with coal in large quantities. Six million pounds worth of pork exported every year, ten millions between butter and eggs, and all the riches drained out of it by England, levying taxes on the poor people that paid through the nose always, and gobbling up the best meat in the market, and a lot more surplus steam in the same vein. End of section 48. Recorded by Karen.